And um, just the fact that they were so intelligent, but do not hide the fact that they had fate. This um, inspired me. Uh, it it gave me for the first time of, of my life, the idea that you can be intelligent and believe at the same time. Being Christian and even Catholic, the last place on earth I would believe you can find truth at that time. <laughs> Welcome to the Ron Huntley Leadership Podcast, helping leaders be a positive catalyst on the people they support, the organizations they serve, and the communities they live in. This podcast will make you think, laugh, and grit your teeth with new determination to make your parish or business a place of transformation, passion, and purpose. If you're still breathing, you are power for impact. Welcome back. If you're an associate priest, please plan on joining Father Damien Ryan and I on February the 15th for an event that is for associate priests only. Head over to ronhuntley.com and register today. Father Damien came to visit St. Benedict Parish when Father James and I were still working together. He stayed for about three weeks and he left a hope-filled priest, but he left a big impact on me as well. It's going to be a great event. Leadership done well has many factors at work. Innovation, growth, evolution, focus, passion, and more. Today's episode is a dissection of going from good to great. When I look at the statistics, it's interesting to note that Quebec is the largest second listenership in Canada. France is seventh globally for us. So for many of our listeners, English is not their first language. There is so much to learn from the global church. Today's podcast is no different. Enjoy the conversation. Lift off and the clock has started. There is a magazine circulating in the streets of Quebec that is both intellectual and beautiful. There's a great history behind it and some wonderful people stories. This incredible project. And our guest today is Simon Lassard. Simon, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ron, for the invitation. <laughs> I'd love for you to share with the leaders. La, La Verb magazine, like or La Verb Media, tell us a little bit about what it is, and then we'll break it open a little bit more. Yeah, well, um, La Verb was first a magazine, uh, I would say, five years ago. Um, here's a few examples of our last edition. <laughs> um, now it's really a multimedia platform uh, centered towards new evangelization. So we do have radio show, podcasts, uh, video, uh, YouTube channel. Uh, we still have the magazine and the website. So it's, it's really vast now. Uh, just to give you an idea, uh, in 2015, we would reach out to only 3,000 people a year. In 2016, one year later, uh, we reach out 30,000 uh, 30, people. And in 2019, 300,000 people. And I think next year we'll reach out uh, 500,000 people. So there's really like an explosion in our media. And I think it's something we can discuss about. It's because uh, of the approach we uh, decided in group a few years uh, ago. Well, I'll tell you, <laughs> you know, as you start to break over those numbers, I think, oh, 2015, 20, uh, those are nice numbers because you then. 30,000 a year later, like it's like, holy jumpings. And then 300,000, three years later. And then it's like, oh man, that's too bad. Like COVID's really probably 
kick the pants off you guys. And it's like, no, 2022, 500K. It's like, what? (laughs) So it's going to be fun to unpack this a little bit in terms of hearing how things have evolved and and so forth. But I'd love to hear a little bit about your story. Like you talked about the new evangelization and and this multimedia thing. But uh, why why does faith matter to you? Like at what point did, did Jesus make a difference in your life? to the mm. point where you actually make a career out of doing things that glorify him. Like many of my colleagues at Verb, we are a convert. <laughs> and this may have also an influence on the media and our, our mm. approach. Um, so uh, when I was uh, around 21 years old, I was actually uh, in search of meaning, we could say that, and I studied philosophy for that. So I had this idea, well, before, being, uh, before uh, studying for work, Maybe I should know why I live and then maybe decide if I should work and in which area I should work after I discovered the meaning of life. Yeah. <laughs> so that was my reflection at that time. And that's why I decided at the time to go in philosophy. Mm. And in philosophy, I got a very good teacher. Um, some very bad, some very good, of course. <laughs> Welcome to university. <laughs> yes. But the best one, the most intelligent one, actually had faith. I'm thinking about two of them, the uh, Kanaink and Peltier. Well, they may be known here, maybe not in the English word. Okay. <laughs> I was studying at Laval University in, in Quebec City. And um, just the fact that they were so intelligent, but do not hide the fact that they had faith. This um, inspired me. Uh, it it, it gave me, for the first time of, of my life, the idea that you can be intelligent and believe at the same time. <laughs> Being Christian and even Catholic, the last place on earth I would believe you can find truth at that time. <laughs> <laughs> right. Isn't that true? Right. Because particularly our culture today is really skeptical and, and of the church and, and the whole idea of an objective truth. And so to go to a church to, to explore that stuff for a lot of people, that's the last place in the world they would trust asking those types of questions. Exactly. That's what, uh, how, how I was raised, you know, with the media and the school telling us that there's only truth in science and religion is for the past, for old people or uninstructed people. Sure. And, um, and so I had my grandmother who would believe, but she was a nice person, but she doesn't seem to be a very high intellectual person. <laughs> right. Then I had those professors, the most intelligent people I've met in my life who had faith and who would discuss uh, rationally questions like the existence of God, the existence of the soul, the existence of life after death. Mm. And that would show me that it's not only irrational to believe those things, that it's even, even, even more rational to believe them than to deny them. Mm. And so through Aristotle, uh, through also Thomas Aquinas, uh, those were maybe the two main influences. Uh, this brings me to a journey of discovering really the intelligence of the Christianity and Catholic faith and to see that uh, reason and faith can totally go together. And, um, and so my, my own conversion, I would say, was more an intellectual journey in the beginning. And then I discovered a personal relationship with Christ. I learned to pray. Um, I was already baptized like many people in Quebec by my, of my generation. I think I'm the last generation where we still baptize people for cultural reason. Sure. So I could easily go back to church was like simple, simpler in a way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> for, for yeah. um, and uh, so that's how I, um, and, and also something um, does it, is, there's the intellectual journey, but also met very 
a good friend with uh, with Faye and a relationship mm-hmm. with those friend. I discover a new type of friendship that I never experienced before. I had a good friend before, but not that type of sharing, of intimacy, of of uh, really having the same purpose of life together. And so this was very important at that time too in my conversion to have true, profound friendship. Uh, mm. So I think we're not just brain. <laughs> we have a heart too. And right. we are all seeking happiness, joy, love. And so this, uh, um, sometimes I like to say that some people convert because they have a personal uh, encounter with Christ. For me, it's a little bit special. I think I had a personal encounter with the church, with the Catholic church. First, <laughs> after, of course, after I met Christ. <laughs> but uh, beautiful? It's really through the church, through real people, through the teaching of the church, through the liturgy, and through like the this community of friendship and love that I was attracted towards the truth first. So let's let's unpack that a little bit more because you were young. So here's this 2021. Yeah. Right. So here's this young man finding his way through, through reason and intellectual pursuit of truth to recognize there's more to life than this inspired by people of faith. And it's like, wait a minute, hey, maybe I should explore this faith thing more head back to church what was that like? Like, how did you make friends there? Because that's not everyone's experience of stepping into a Catholic church randomly. And so how did that transpire? What did that look like? Well, I did not uh, just enter randomly a church. <laughs> okay. Tell me more. Um, the, the, um, when I was studying philosophy, uh, my teachers, when I show some interest, they show me some group uh, of uh, where church, the, where the faith was more alive in my city. So I went first to those groups where there was other young people of my age. And, um, and there was a, a, a new parish, I would say. Well, it was not really a new parish, but a new group that was uh, uh, making a parish more alive at that time. It was at around 2008 in Quebec City. We had the International Eucharistic Congress. And at the time, was Cardinal Wallet, the bishop, and he really encouraged new movement to come in the diocese, and he encouraged uh, a lot of uh, initiative for the youth. And one of it was the Emmanuel community, not very well known in the English world, but uh, very uh, important in France. And this community did, uh, at that time, the bishop give them, put them in charge of the, the parish, the closest parish to the university. And uh, I remember at that time we were maybe only 15 person at mass. And now if you go to the same mass, the youth mass on Sunday night, there's more than 500 uh, people. Well, except for the COVID period now. Of course. (laughs) yeah. Normally you have more than 500 young people in Quebec City going to a youth mass every Sunday night in this parish. So, So I had the grace to discover faith in a time where there was also renewal in a concrete parish next to my university. You know what's so crazy about that is you're telling that story, Samuel. My son played for the Quebec Rampart. Uh, mm-hmm. He was drafted there when he was 16. He played there for three and a half years. And he was going to the English church there and just lacked life. Uh, wonderful people probably, but just don't know how, you know, 
so many churches don't know how to bring about joy, transformation, and life. And so talking to my pastor here in Halifax, Father Simon Lobo, he knew about this Emmanuel community. He said, you should go. And so when I was up visiting my son and watching him play hockey, we went one Sunday to that church. And of course, it was all in French. I don't speak French. My son's better at French than I am. But boy, the the passion, the joy, and the zeal was contagious. And I loved being there, even though I didn't understand a word. And when it was all over and the mass was ended, you think people would leave. They didn't leave. They just got in all of these clusters and talked and prayed with each other and laughed and all these university age people. And then downstairs, they actually have a pub after mass where people can go and enjoy a beer and continue to talk. And so that's so neat that I've connected with that community. That was a big part of your. It's interesting, Ron, because I know your pastor, Simon Lobo, we actually uh, made what we call the youth service uh, together to prepare the Eucharistic Congress. Uh, really? At the year of my conversion. And uh, well, we share the same name. We have more or less the same age and we are born the same day. That's the only person I personally know that is born the same uh, day than me. <laughs> Man, it is a small world. That is so cool. Father Simon, I'm sure you're listening. Isn't that something? Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, cool. So that's really neat. So what you're saying is they were smart enough as people of faith to recognize not any church would do because if you don't make friends when you reconnect with the faith if that if that church experience isn't one where you feel like you belong and you can start to develop your own tribe so to speak then the likelihood of that having any lasting impact on a young person's life is probably very low exactly exactly i think that uh, um there's really two dimensions to a human being, you know. Uh, we need to see that the faith is true. And that was more the intellectual journey. And I think it's often neglect in our Catholic Church today. Recently, I was listening to a podcast between uh, Jordan Peterson and Bishop Byron. Probably Isn't that great? So good. And uh, Bishop Byron uh, just was telling Jordan Peterson that according to a survey they recently made in U.S., most Catholic young people, the first reason they don't embrace the faith is not because our liturgy are boring or ugly or because the community is not uh, welcoming enough people or because we're too old or no, we're not enough cool or don't have beautiful design. No, the first reason is because people believe it's not rational. It's against science and it's not mm. true, simply. And if we show them that it's not in contradiction to truth, to reason, to science, they get interested in it. So I think that's very something important uh, to, to the apologetic tradition of the church. We have amazing uh, uh, theologian and, and people who can answer uh, the, the question that people have. The problem is that people have good objection and we don't give them good answer to those objections. So I think that's the first something we should rediscover, this tradition of uh, faith and reason and apologetic. But then the second part is we're human being also, as I said, who are seeking to love and to be loved, to belong to a community. Mm. And that I think we, 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 we understand more now, even though it's not easy to, to do, uh, that we need a live community, 
where it's warm, you feel welcome, and you develop true, profound friendship. So I had mm. the chance, the grace, really, that those two need, I encountered them uh, at the time of my conversion. Oh, wow. What a great witness. What a great story. And I hope all of the listeners that are in church leadership just you know, sometimes we only see the church and experience the church through our lens, however old we are and whatever our background is. But we really, I just challenge us all to think about people's encounter from a different perspective, from an outsider's perspective, from a younger person's perspective, not just from your own experience, um, because it makes all the difference in the world. Um, yeah, so that's so cool. So wh- where did you go from there then as you began to engage in faith, engage in a community that was able to feed your uh, hunger for purpose and meaning and, and truth? What what happened? I have a, quite an adventure, quite a journey. <laughs> it's still not over. <laughs> um, I really, really fast after my conversion, I would say a few months after I had this desire to give my life for evangelization, my feeling was that I discovered something so true, so beautiful that would bring so much joy, happiness to my life that I must share it, okay? And um, and so I want to give my life to share this. And so the first idea I had was, okay, so I have to become a priest. You know, I didn't know all the possibility of how to be a missionary in the church at that time. And because of life, so much common life, and because of a few uh, person I met, I, I started to think more about religious life. And also because uh, intelligence of faith was important for me, I started to look for Dominican and Jesuit and, and community like that. Yes. And so I actually became a Dominican. I was Dominican for five years and I was religious after in a new community for another five years. So I've been religious for all my 20s, let's say, in this way. Mm-hmm. And for different reasons, uh, I, um, I stopped this, uh, this journey in religious life uh, three yeah. years ago. Uh, well, I don't know the future. I'm still not married. Everything is possible, <laughs> but I've made all my philosophy and theology and, uh, formation to, to be ordained. And, uh, this was not lost because at all, no. because, uh, when I quit uh, religious life a few years ago, uh, I started to work with Le Verbe and full time and Le Verbe is really, uh, a mission. It's a mission. And so all the formation I got on my journey, now I can uh, use it uh, at the service of this uh, this mission. Oh, man, isn't that cool? My mom always used, sometimes I would struggle with what am I going to do with my life? And uh, and sometimes that can be freak you out when you're young, like when you're in your late teens, early 20s. It's like, man, where am I going to spend my time that's going to have the right impact on my future life? And I remember her saying one time, and it just gave me a lot of peace. She said, your life, you know, it's like you have a warehouse and every time you get more education, it's like you're putting more and more product in your warehouse. She said, God loves you. He's got you. You don't have to be afraid of the future. You're at, none of your education will be lost and God's going to, he's preparing you for what he has prepared for you. So just trust, continue to say yes to opportunities, to education, to experiences, build up your warehouse you will know in hindsight in one point in time why God did that for you. And I just thought, yeah, I just need to trust. I was filled with fear that I needed to, everything revolved like 
depended on my decisions. And that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> but when it's like, no, actually, I'm doing life with God and God loves me and he wants what's best for me and I don't have to be afraid. Well, then there's peace and joy and freedom. And so that, uh, what we do without our moms, eh? <laughs> I see life like an adventure now. The only thing I'm certain is that things never happen as I expect them. <laughs> so I do a little less project now and I try to develop more what I would call a docility to the Holy Spirit, you know, yes. um, not so much my initiative, but being uh, open your eyes, your ears and, and, and check the opportunity that God gives. Amen. Well, it's funny because this is even having this conversation with you is one of them because it was through a mutual friend who just said, oh, you really have to meet Simon. And I know she cares about me and I could tell she cares about you and she just wanted us to meet. And of course, we met before we recorded this podcast. I thought, what a great guy. And so that's an example of the docility of the spirit when we get to uh, we pay attention to those things and we follow them through. And so tell us a little bit about this mission that you're involved with, because uh, it has an interesting story of evolution, of, of development, of problem solving and not giving up. And those are all character traits that I think as parish leaders, we, we can learn from. And so please tell us some about, more about that. Yeah. Well, Le Verbe um, used to be, this this organization exists more than 40 years, okay? But before it was just a magazine, a paper magazine, before internet, all this. So it was like a, a Catholic journal giving news, you know? Sure. For Catholic people um, and in a, cat, in a world that was still partly Catholic, I would say. Right. <laughs> and uh, then um, Quebec change, uh, the world change, the media change, internet change. And so the, 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 the purpose of making a journal give news was not really relevant anymore because people could get faster news on internet. <laughs> yeah. mm. So um, our publication changed a few time name and style. And really in 2016, there was a huge change. Our director, Sophie, um, she's a bit older than us. <laughs> yeah. She was in charge and she said, hmm, I want a real renewal. But she said, I'm not the one who's going to do it. If I want a real renewal, if I want to reach out new generation, I have to pass the leadership to younger people. So she hired one of my colleagues, Antoine, as is the chief uh, redactor uh, today. Mm -hmm. And she totally trusts him. And she, she, she gave him like uh, a carte blanche. I'm not sure how you say that in English. Yes, no, no, we use the same term. Yeah, okay, carte blanche. Yeah. <laughs> and she said, you can do what you think will reach out the young, the young, the new generation. And so he transformed the publication. He created Le Verbe, a publication that was more about uh, bringing uh, truth, goodness, and, uh, and beauty together something that uh, would really have um, in, it, in its uh, way of speaking, a way to speak more first to non-believer than to believer. And, um, and we uh, surround him of more than 50 other young adults in Quebec to participate to this publication. And uh, we start to go on internet. A few years after we start to go on radio, and um, it's really, uh, that was, the, I would say, the 
first big move, the fact that someone that was there since many years ago, that was older, said, if I want a renewal, I have to trust. Of course, you choose a good person, okay? <laughs> oh, yeah, right. There's not any random young person will do. No, 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 no. She chooses she choose very well. But after she trusts him, and often she would say, you know what? I don't really like what you do. <laughs> but he said, well, in a way, I don't want you to reach me. <laughs> I don't have to like it. Yeah. No, ex- exactly. And so she decided to focus on finding money, finding benefactor to help us in administration. So all the other people in the team, we had all our time for the for the mission uh, to produce the content. And we don't have to worry about money and administration. That, that was, I would say, the first big move, this trust of young people. And the second big move was maybe two years after that. We, I was not there yet at that time. I was there just as an external participant. <laughs> right, yes. Yeah, but um, Sophie and Antoine realized we say publicly that we want to reach out to an unbeliever, but we ask people to pay for our publication. Mm. Even though it's a small amount of money, it's a nonsense. How does a non-believer is going to buy a Catholic magazine? <laughs> this is just not going to happen, okay? And so there was this um, uh, this idea, really, that everything has to be free, one hundred percent free. Everything we give, we produce, we distribute has to be free. Like like Simple said, like you receive everything. Um, Gratuitement, freely. <laughs> yes. Free. So you should give it back for free, okay? Right. And and so everything is free. So first the uh, the board, the administration board said, well, that's kind of a crazy move. <laughs> and but we'll try. We trust you. And but by becoming free, that's the year where we multiply by ten the number of people we reach out. Because of course now we could develop new rate to reach people we could go on radio we could put all our content for free on internet be on social media and um, we could give free magazine to people so we start to give free magazine in the streets so now we give more than 100,000 magazine every year in the streets of quebec in pharmacy in restaurant and metro bus station uh, library and uh, we are certain that People who take the magazine industry, they are not people who go to the church every Sunday just because we are in Quebec and 99% of the population don't. So, so we are certain now that we reach out those those people. And um, the year we made that move to become free, we multiply by three our income, actually. And there's many explanations for that, of course. God's providence, <laughs> that's the first one. But why also is because people who before would subscribe and buy our magazine and give us maybe 60 bucks a year or something like that, they said, now I don't feel I'm buying a product. Now I feel I participate to a mission. And they double the amount of money they gave to us. <laughs> and some foundation and community, religious community, they say, oh, now for the first time, we really feel you reach out an unbeliever. So we really feel you're, you're doing something for a new evangelization. And mm. so they multiply their donation to our, our organization because of that. Mm. 
And uh, so that that would I would say that was the second uh, big move, this trust of providence we just talked together before. Yes. Um, and uh, this idea that if really, really you do God's will, you will provide. <laughs> wow, that is so beautiful. It's, it reminds me and it echoes a lot. Are you familiar with Alpha and Nikki Gumbel and about Alpha in general? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, so neat because Nikki Gumbel too was a convert. Uh, his father was a non-practicing Jew, I believe, um, and uh, and he was an atheist uh, who ended up coming to faith. And so it does change the way he approached things. You'd mentioned that too. You know, so many of us are converts, and that probably impacts the way we approach evangelization. Well, the same thing with him. Well, the whole Alpha program is oriented towards those people that maybe you know, don't, don't believe or, or maybe don't have any exposure to the gospel in a way that makes sense to them. But also I've been to their conferences and I remember Nikki Gummel being interviewed one time and he's not a young man anymore. He, I mean, clearly he was, but he's not anymore. And yet his church, the average age of his church is 27 years old. Hmm. And so how does an old guy like that attract so many young people? And so that's what the interviewer was asking him, but he wasn't there by himself. He was being interviewed with one of the younger priests. And so they're asking him that question. And I just loved his answer. And it kind of reminds me of probably what Sophie would do, uh, your directors, is he just looks at the guy beside him and he says, I don't have a clue. I just hired him. He's the person who knows how to get the next generation. He said, I, I have no idea how to do this. I, I, that's, I'll ask him those questions. And every time they tried to ask him a question, he would always defer it to this younger priest who didn't have any gray hair like mine. And, and I just thought it was so fun to, to see that principle in action. And that is exactly the trajectory of Leverb in terms of its explosive impact, there was this vision from her perspective of really wanting to make a difference, this willingness to do what only she could do. And that was really to focus on benefactors and sharing vision and, and getting the obstacles out of the way. So hiring a great young person, empowering them to hire a bunch of other people, giving them the creative freedom to not have to please her as the boss, but to please the mission. And then to remove your obstacles so that you didn't have to worry about things like resources anymore so that you could double down on mission. Like what a wonderful recipe for a complete transformation of a media organization or mm -hmm. a church. And, and Ron, there's another, there's a third, third thing that happened also that I think is Please. very important is we change um our editorial uh, line. I'm not sure that's right. a question in English, okay? <laughs> yes, no, uh, I know what you mean. The way we express, the way we talk, the way we uh, communicate. Mm. So people ask me often in the church, how come your media is so popular in the world, so secular, normally it shouldn't happen, okay? Right. <laughs> and I say, well, our secret is in everything we do, we don't try to interest you <laughs> because usually I'm talking to people who go to church regularly. Okay. Of course. So in everything we write, even the photo, the design, the, the, the we always ask ourselves, how would a non-believer receive that? Oh. And we make the choice to reach first the non-believer. Mm. 
And so, of course, sometimes you receive a message from a grandmother saying, I don't really understand the purpose of this article. Or, I think this photo is a bit too sexy for me. But <laughs> okay, stuff like that. Um, but it's okay because we, we remind them, you know what? We want to reach out to your kids and your little kid. You know, that's mm. our first purpose. So trust us. Okay. They, 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 they are interested by this. <laughs> and, a, uh, yeah. And, and so th- th- this change, and also we, we make a choice to always announce more than to denounce. So it's so easy to only critic, okay, and complain. Of course, we are in a non-Christian, non-Catholic society and culture. So a lot of things are not okay. A lot of things are not according to the gospel, to Christ, and to the truth, okay? We could, and we're very good at that, just critique our culture and society and denounce everything that is wrong all the time. But this would not announce the good news. And so we make the choice, okay, we're not like uh, blind people who don't see the problem in our world today, okay? Sometimes we do it. But most of the time we try that in everything we produce, video, a podcast, an article, a magazine, that at the end, person has joy and hope. And we focus on something that is positive that we can announce so we'll uh instead of denouncing abortion or euthanasia okay we'll find stories beautiful stories of people who have welcomed life mm. or have embraced their 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 uh, natural death i don't know how to say that yeah no <laughs> that's way. how you say it yeah okay <laughs> so we'll try always to find a positive way and and so this also makes a non-believer they consume they read what we do and they don't feel attacked by, by what we do. Oh, my gosh. I, I, as you're sharing that, Simon, I just, I just hope our listeners will just pause there. Think about how you can use this podcast to sit down with the people in your ministry and think about what Simon just said and how that would impact your ministry and how that can change the culture of your ministry so that we can intentionally be positive. Because so many communities are are defined and known by what they're against people don't know necessarily what they're for and that's what i'm hearing you say is that no you guys are laser focused on your mission which for the church is to reach the lost and to serve the least but in so many churches it's so hard to lead when the people that you're leading are trying to form a club of like-minded people that that have an inward focus. And that's not the mission of the church. How you guys are running your, your ministry, your mission, we have a lot to learn from that. A, a church has a lot to learn from that. I, I remember one church that I'm coaching, when they welcome people, they just assume everybody's Catholic. And I see churches do this all the time. On any Sunday, they just assume everybody's Catholic. Well, basically what you're saying is, zero people invite and you don't expect anybody ever to discover Christ and or, or or be curious and walk into your church. And so I just challenge them to just welcome uh if there's anybody here that you know maybe you're not you don't know what you believe or you're just searching uh or maybe you're just visiting you're welcome like we're glad you're here. And uh and it was really fun because people noticed and many people complained. What are you doing talking to unchurched people here like this is the Catholic church heaven forbid like but they're missing the entire point of mission. 
Mm-hmm. And you guys aren't doing that. You guys, I just love, I love your focus. Um, that's just so beautiful. So how do you stay so focused? Like, how do you stay so focused? Um, that's a very good question. Uh, the first answer that came, came to my head is that we are at Leverb a community. I mean, we pray together. We are friends. Even on the weekend, sometimes we see each other, you know, <laughs> and, and we, so it's not really a job for us and, and we, we care about each other. And so uh, I think it's how, and we can be in true to want to towards each other all the time. And um, we always um, listen to people that disagree with us. Also, it doesn't mean we change the, the, what we do every time there's a complaint. <laughs> right. Uh, but that that's something we, we say, even if they're wrong, they, we should uh, take into account the fact that mm. they feel like that. Mm. And um, what else? I think it's because we want so much to reach out uh, the people who doesn't come to church. That's, mm. that's how we stay relevant. Um, it's, it's because of our passion and our desire that we actually have a real impact on people. And of course, this two way to measure an impact is like with the numbers (laughs) and, but what touched us the most is every day we receive many letters or email of people telling us uh, with their words, how we bring them hope and joy. And not only of course, a lot of Catholic people, but also people who doesn't define, does not define themselves as Catholic. Mm. We, I'm, I may think of a few atheists too that often write to us saying that, oh, you're so interesting media because you talk about meaning and we don't see that in other media. Mm. And, 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 and the last thing I want to say is that, you know, when I said before, uh, when we produce something, with, we want to reach out First, the non-believer. Yes. But we realize that the believer, he loves that too. <laughs> Absolutely. He loves that because um, now we give him a tool for his own evangelization. So everything we produce is thing as a tool that you can reuse to reach out your uncle, your son, your colleague at work. So the right. magazine, people take it and they give it to someone. They say, read this article. And they're not ashamed to give it because it's beautiful, it's intelligent, and it's yeah. it's it's a thing for them. And when we when we produce a video, the same thing, people are a thrill to share it in their social media because they know that everybody in their network, believer or not, will find it yeah. interesting. Mm. I remember when we transitioned some of our communication at St. Benedict Parish from the traditional church bulletin, which tells you when the tea is and the bake sale and where you can drop off coats and, you know, the Knights of Columbus meeting coming up. So all this internal language and internal communication, which that has its place, I suppose, or or definitely. Uh, But we started to make a, a magazine once a month and we call it the Benedictus. And the whole idea of everything we did was to tell stories so that people could use it to engage with family members, friends, coworkers who maybe don't have faith. And so same type of principle. But again, what I found so funny was the 
pushback from the people within the church. It's like, what about us? And so it's, and that's fair. Um, but sometimes that voice can be so loud that leaders stop pressing outward and then just resign to be focused inward. And, and I think leaders die inside when they do that. I think eventually, spiritually, they start to die. Impact-wise, they start to die. It's only through mission, I find, that, that life is found again. Zeal is found again. Vocations are restored again. Um, and it's a tough battle to go from, particularly in a church, mm-hmm. to go from inward-focused to that balance between outward-focused and missional, as well as holiness. And But it's, a, it's worth the fight, that's for sure. It's worth the battle. I love what you said too, Simon, when you said it's your passion collectively. This isn't just a job for you guys. You are a community. You are praying together. You're friends. You care about each other, not just on the clock. That, and again, that, that's, that's to me the sign of a healthy organization, a healthy church, a healthy ministry. And it's passion and desire that keep you, your collective passion and desire that keep you guys focused on your primary purpose. Oh my gosh, there's just so many learnings in there for a church. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another thing, Ron, is that, um, well, in Quebec, I, will, I won't talk about all uh, North America. America, Australia, UK, I don't know, all those places. But in sure. Quebec, there's a tendency that things that the Catholic Church do is cheap, <laughs> okay? I don't know how to say it differently, but it's not high standard quality. It's yes. like if we believe, oh, God is good, so we can do anything, you know? <laughs> and so we decide, us, no, that's not how we're going to reach out people. So we yes. try to have very high standard of quality. So uh, we hire professional uh, photograph, professional illustrator. We have two full-time graphic designer. And, um, and the texts are reread by four or five people before their publication. And not just to correct grammatical mistake, but to improve them, improve their impact, improve the style of it. We focus on the, the quality of, of everything we do. It's not as perfect as we would love, okay? We have limited sure. resources in time. Yep. But we try that when people encounter our media, we feel we are in the same league as the secular media. Right. And, and so this gives a lot of credibility also to, uh, to everything we do. I mean, we have the most beautiful truth of the world, okay, to share. Mm. It should not be put in something ugly. <laughs> It, it should be it should be communicated also in the most beautiful way possible. <laughs> and, I, yeah, go ahead. And we also decide, sorry, to 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 make a move that many people don't understand. We decide to keep paper, to keep paper. Okay, right. Well, we are on social media. We are on internet, of course. But this move that we made to keep paper. Yes was prophetic because we are religion of incarnation Mm. and we realize that when people they receive home their magazine it's not the same as when they read on their phone text true they meditate it they give it to someone they put it next to their bed (laughs) Mm. they touch
touch the paper. They, they feel they belong to a community, those who subscribe to the magazines. Uh, it becomes also an object of art that they keep in the library. And um, we see a so different impact. Uh, the, the fact that we, we, we kept a material object. <laughs> Of course, a beautiful material object, not something you're just going to throw after you read it. Something so beautiful that you want to keep it after and, and, and give it. Oh, that is so good. Of course, not everybody should do that. Depend of your mission and, and there's so, so many right. factors to take into account. But I would just say that not just because everybody gets rid of paper that we should do it too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's where prayer and discernment is so important. That's where, you know. Yeah, I love that. I remember again when moving from a from just your regular bulletin on white paper to we went to a magazine style high quality magazine once a month and one of the parishioners came up and said, "Father, you know, I don't know why you're spending all this money on glossy paper and nice photos. You could put the the bulletin on toilet paper. I don't care. Like I don't need that." And 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 he said, well, you've just proven my point. I know you don't need that, but it's not for you. <laughs> it's for you to give to somebody else. And if you give them something on toilet paper, that says a lot. Because <laughs> exactly. the medium sometimes is the message. And, and I think about in, in Quebec, okay. where you're at, and, and our mutual friend, Ali, when, when they decided they were going to start running Alpha, you know, like every other church in the world, the church basement or the church hall is just very pragmatic, very practical, not very attractive. Very first thing she did was painted it out, got got nice curtains and then some lighting so that when you came in, you were having an experience just walking into the room because she understood the same principles that you're talking about at Laverb with the quality of your photos, the quality of your writing is that if we have poor quality, that actually says a lot mm -hmm. and it's sending the wrong message. And it takes a lot of time, energy and resources and even money to do quality. Yes. But we realize it's always better we produce less, but when we produce and, 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 uh, promote something, mm. even if it's less in quantity, when it's more in quality, the impact is, is, is so, so much bigger. So Simon, as we kind of start to wrap up here, I'm thinking to myself, how can French speaking churches, because I'm guessing all of your resources are in French, is that true? Yes, our mission yeah. is really uh, to reach out to the Francophone. There's so many others. I love it. <laughs> Anglophone. Yeah, no, I agree. I love it. I Stay focused. But for all of our French-speaking churches, whether they're in France, Quebec, New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, because I, you know, Louisiana, like we have French listeners all over the place. If they want to connect with this movement, the magazine, the podcast, the radio, how do they how do they connect with you guys? They can write to us. They can come and visit us if they're not so far from Quebec City. Uh, they can go on our website, leverb.com, and uh, we offer them um, everything is free. So if they want to receive, I don't know, like uh, there's a parish uh, where they can have two or 300 copies every, every month, every two months that they can give to people, something we can offer them. We can also, for example, if they do Alpha in their parish, 
they can give free subscription, one year subscription to the magazine to everybody who just finished an alpha uh, program. So in this way, there's like a follow up to alpha. Yes. That that's important. Also, um, they can um, use all our material to put in their own newsletter, for example, or they can use our video because everything is free. We we allow people to use all our content as much as they want. Uh, I know churches who use our video to uh, make group of uh, sharing group, discussion, or prayer group. Right. You know, so they they start with a video or an article we produce with a testimony, for example. And in, in, instead of because most parish they don't have a lot of time and resources to produce high quality uh, things. So instead of every parish or every diocese trying to make his own little thing. Uh, what we say is we produce that for all of you, all the Francophone world, <laughs> which we, we try to, to produce stuff that you can reuse uh, in a creative way in your local uh, community. Thank you so much for the generosity, the vision, and the drive that you and your team have at Leverbe in, in Quebec. I can I'm so excited about who you guys are, what you do, how you do it. And again, for all of you that are in church leadership, there are so many principles covered in this podcast that are worth reflecting on, talking about with your leadership teams. And 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 again, for those of you that are French speaking, wherever you're at in the world, I hope you're going to, to look these guys up, get behind what they're doing. Use the resources to increase the quality of your mission, your purpose, and let's reach as many people as we can for Jesus. Simon, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you so much, Ron. <laughs> Listening to Simon's story once again reminds me that there are so many different paths to come to a place of revelation, a place of belief in God. Make your parish great so that when a 21-year-old person like Simon arrives, he finds a home. Thank you for listening, sharing, and rating the podcast five stars. I want to encourage you, as you lead this week, be faithful to God and generous to others. See you next time. And remember, if you're still breathing, you are powered for impact.